Speaking of turning on the lights, we have some new lights in here. And they are, um, they, that happened this week. I don't know if you noticed. We had, you know, the, in the front we kind of had them dimmed during worship. I mean, you, you could operate like right here if you needed to. They are really bright. Um, but we're working on like a, yeah. But we're working on like a good way to, to, to figure all that out. So, um, so they're on now, which is good. Everybody's bright. Everybody can see. Everybody can read. So that's a, that's a really good thing. Uh, Paul writes this letter to Colossians. You know, we are going to be on Colossians uh, today. Oh, on. Yeah, again, on. I love technology. That's great. Okay, so Paul writes this letter to the Colossians. I just want to give you a brief background. If you want to follow along in your uh, insert, you can. Uh, it's Paul, so a lot of times Paul writes letters to places he's been, right? And he's, he's seen problems. He's seen uh, errors. He's seen conflicts. He's seen all sorts of stuff, and he's writing to, to correct but, but Paul had never been uh, to Colossae. He had never visited there before. This was written near the end of Paul's life. He was under house arrest in Rome. I mean, we, the, the book of Acts doesn't record that he had ever been there. He never mentions personally being there, so we assume that he hadn't. Uh, but there was a man, in, in a Colossian man named Epaphras, who most likely heard Paul uh, preach the good news when Paul was preaching in Ephesus, where Paul was for a long time. Right? Paul was in Ephesus for a long time preaching. So this man named Epaphras heard Paul preach the good news. He may have had some other people from uh, his city with him, but he goes back and he plants a church, the Colossian church. So unlike uh, some of Paul's other letters, he's not chastising the church. He's not, you know, when you read 1 Corinthians and even some of 2 Corinthians, Paul's kind of harsh. You know, he's like, what, what's the problem with you people? Why haven't you figured this out yet? But we don't see that here because he'd never been there. Uh, so he writes it really in a loving, it's a really letter. Uh, he's offering loving encouragement and sound teaching. It's for their benefit. Uh, he really loves them, uh, but he knows, he's never seen them, but he loves them, uh, but he knows that there are some serious problems, uh, not of their own making, but of, of people around him. So, yeah, Paul's writing, uh, one of his primary things he's doing is in the first couple of chapters here, uh, just to give you a brief overview, is he's, he's writing to counter some false teachers. They're teaching some really pretty bad doctrine, we don't know. Scholar, different scholars uh, think different places on where these false teachers came from. Did they come from like outside? They come from the middle. But we know what they are teaching. Uh, we don't know where they came from, but, but we know how they're trying to corrupt the true faith of, of, of these believers. So here's basically what they're teaching. It's kind of a type of like mysticism mixed with old Jewish practices and beliefs. They're insisting that people keep these sacred festivals. They're talking about, you know, Paul says, you're set free from these new moon festivals. You don't have to keep it so rigid, these rigid dietary laws, to the point they're calling for this asceticism, really, the self-denial that's so strict it was actually harming their physical body. Okay? Um, it's, it's a different... Uh, so I'm, I'm going to explain. It's different than our 14-week fasting and prayer chain. Um, <laughs> here's why. I want to tell you why. So... What these false teachers were trying to do was they're trying to get people in their own strength, in their own power, in their own ability to deny themselves, to get to some new plane of spirituality and understanding. That was the whole point. When we fast and when we pray, we're not trying to do that. We're not trying to go higher. We're trying to drive ourselves into deeper desperation for Christ. Okay, We're not trying to just reach some plane of whatever on our own. We're trying to find Jesus somewhere at the bottom of ourselves when we fast and pray. That's not what they were trying to do here, but that's what we're trying to do with our fasting and prayer chain. That's really the right way to do it, as Paul's going to point out a little bit later. They also talked a lot about worshiping angels, made this huge deal about visions. Um, sometimes you can, 
you know, a lot of times when Paul writes these letters, it's really easy to see, oh, that's, that's kind of a modern comparison. And, and you can find a lot of these things in the world today. Um, a lot of people, sometimes you, you, don't, you don't always find it in churches or in, uh, you won't find it in the Christian bookstore. Well, you might. I hope you wouldn't. But go to the spirituality section of Barnes & Noble and you'll find it. You'll find all these things. This is how you deny yourself and this is what you do and this is what you do to get to a new level and new understanding about life and new wisdom but it's all outside of Christ. And that's what these false teachers were doing in, at the church uh, among the Colossians. And Paul's writing to, to counter them, okay? Just as with Paul's letters, he's going to do a couple of things. The first couple of chapters, uh, which we're you know, I'm highlighting for you today, he's going to lay out some theological foundations, and then he's going to turn to how do we actually live it out, okay? So just a, just a, a quick overview on these theological foundations. First thing he's saying... Uh, He's going to remind him of two very important ones. Number one is that Christ is Lord over all. In chapter 1, uh, Paul writes out what's, and you've, I'm sure you've read it, seen it read. It's a beautiful picture, maybe even without parallel in the New Testament, about who Christ is. Paul says he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Okay? It's a beautiful uh, picture. It's just, it, he created everything. And he, everything was created through him. But everything was created for him. He's, he, you, he's, he's inescapable. Jesus is everywhere. In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Not only did the fullness of God rest in Jesus, he also reconciled everything back to himself by his death on the cross. He was and is all things to all people. Fully God and fully man. The image of the invisible God, but also the firstborn of all creation. Like I said, everything was created by him, for him, and through him. And everything holds together in him. He not only in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We read in, in John chapter 1, verse 1. But we read in Hebrews chapter 1 that he, he continually sustains everything by the word of his power. Christ is so preeminent that not only did he create it, he keeps it holding together. And we get the sense that if he ever stopped doing that, everything would fall apart. So it wasn't just a one-time creation. He's continually making it new. He's continually sustaining everything that he created because everything holds together in him. He's the continual sustainer of all creation. But he's not some transcendent God that we will only hear about and never see. Paul points out to these Colossians, he became very personal and very real to us when he reconciled us to himself by his blood on the cross. Okay? He's supreme over any kind of corrupt teaching that claims the ability to bring us to God. These teachings that the false teachers are saying, this can bring you to God if you'll just fast to the point where you, you, you get sick and almost die. That can, if you, so let's worship some angels, that'll bring us to God. No, Paul's pointing out Jesus is supreme over any kind of corrupt teaching that claims that. 
First, that Christ was Lord over all. And second, Paul points out that there is no man-centered way to God. All the, uh, yeah, it continues on in chapter one, right after that beautiful passage about who Christ is, he says, and you, so he talks about Christ, now he talks about us, right? And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. In chapter 1, he talks about who Christ is. Here he's talking about who we are and what Christ has done for us. Okay? Let's get a few things straight. Even if they are straight, let's make sure they're straight. We were not neutral parties before we were born into a new life in Christ. We were not free moral agents who were neither good nor bad. We were not, no, we were not on level ground. We were hostile to God. We were his enemy. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes very similar words, and he says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were sons and daughters of disobedience. We were objects of God's wrath. Not just neutral, not just floating along, not just, there are no good people. We weren't good people. We did evil (laughs) deeds. Seem good by comparison. But other people aren't our comparison. We weren't neutral parties before Christ did this for us. Okay? We could not reconcile ourselves to God. Paul's telling these people, and he's telling us too. We couldn't do it, no matter what. No, no level of mysticism, no level of asceticism, no amount of fasting. No, you, had a, you had a vision? Oh, hey, great, good for you. Who cares? Paul says it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your vision was. We can't reconcile ourselves to God. Only Jesus could do that. Isn't it weird? Jesus is God. So only Jesus can reconcile himself to us, through himself, by himself, for himself. We were delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. Any human effort is going to claim to bring us to God. Paul tells the Colossians and he tells us, keeping rituals, asceticism, pseudo-religiosity, not enough. It's not going to do it. This is probably stuff you already know, but we need to be reminded. Paul does instruct the Colossians and us to continue in our faith. Let's be stable. Let's be steadfast. Let's be hopeful. Thankfully, Paul spends the rest of his letter to the Colossians teaching us how to do this. So these theological foundations laid, let's take a look at uh, how we actually are going to live it out, and that comes from today's passage. Excuse me. All right. Steve read for you uh, verse 12 through 17. We're going to back up to verse 1 uh, just to, just to take a, a, bigger, a bigger look at this, okay? So verses 1 through 4 here, Paul's writing. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your, mind, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear, appear with him in glory. Okay? This is probably also a familiar, familiar passage. Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above. Okay? We want to seek and set your mind on things above. Let's take a closer look at verse two, verses 1 and 2 here. If then you've been raised with Christ, that is not a, uh, 
that if is, is not really an if, that is more like a sense, or like because, because he's writing to people who have been raised with Christ. He's saying, because you've been raised with Christ, this is what you need to do. You need to seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. This isn't a above like these false teachers we're talking about, some mystical above. He says, you need to, let's talk about above because that's where Christ is. It's a Christ-centered above, okay? We want to seek the things that's uh, talking about our actions, and we want to set our minds, our thoughts. Our thoughts and our actions, they work interdependently. We think about Christ and his righteousness, and then guess what we're going to do? We're going to pursue it. We don't think about Christ and his righteousness, we're not going to pursue it. And Paul's telling them right here, both of these, seek the things and set your minds. Let's put them both in action together. Okay. What's Paul talking about? What are some of these things that are above where Christ is? It's, he's writing to people who had these weird notions because they're all about visions and angels. Is that it? Am I supposed to seek visions? Am I supposed to try to talk to an angel? Am I supposed to you know, fast until I get delirious and then I'm going to see a vision and I'm going to think an angel was there? That's really what they were really dealing with. It, it was, it's really sad, but Paul writes very carefully, no, where Christ is, he's talking about we need to think, set our minds on be gratitude. Let's be thankful for the presence of God in our lives. Let's be thankful for the sovereign reign of Christ over all of creation. When the sun shines, it's because Jesus wants it to. It's really that simple. When it, when it rains, it's because he thought we needed rain. Let's set our minds on the power of the Holy Spirit that works in us and this Holy Spirit that leads us to the truth about who Jesus is. The Colossian church, they were all about looking for the power of some spirits, but not the spirits that were going to lead them to the truth in Christ. And instead of this self-denial to the point of bodily harm, yeah, we deny ourselves. And we, we follow Christ, and the result is heavenly joy not our own destruction, okay? Godly wisdom in our everyday lives, these are what we need to be setting our minds on. These are the things we need to be thinking about so that we can act towards them, we can act accordingly. Godly wisdom in how you parent, godly wisdom in how you work, godly wisdom in how you communicate with your spouse. All right? What are they not? What are we not supposed to be, what are, what are these above things not? Well, we're not talking about accomplishments, or achievement, or recognition. Definitely not talking about material possessions. We're not talking about distractions. Feel free to write in your own distraction right there. Everybody's got a different one. That's not what Paul's talking about, okay? So we seek and we set our minds on the things that are above where Christ is, not on the things that are on the earth. These things, they're on the earth. Yeah, they're good, it's fine. You get recognized for doing something great at work. Good job, you did a good job, it's good. Let's be thankful to the Lord. Let's treasure him who makes it possible so that we could work instead of treasuring ourselves for how great we are. Okay. All right, move on just a little bit. We'll talk about, Paul goes into here in the next few verses uh, about two things he's really going to contrast between verses 5 and uh, verse 11. He's going to talk about the old self and he's going to talk about the new self. All right. This is nothing new. People have been preaching this for forever. So this is nothing new. These are all reminders, okay? Let's take a look at what the old... Let's start talking about the old self. For you have died. We just read these couple verses a couple of minutes ago. For you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's a strong statement, right? Hey, great news, you died. Good job. <laughs> like, that's kind of shocking in a way, right? What, what do you mean? I've died, all right? He's talking about, let's take a look here at another passage, Romans chapter 6, and uh, these are both coming out of Romans chapter 6. What does it mean to say that, you, good news, you died. Congratulations. Paul says, what shall we say? Are we going to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, of course not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the... Oh, sorry, got that twice. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. Good news, you died to sin. You died to your old self, which was crucified with him, so that this body of sin might be brought to nothing, and so that we wouldn't be sin's slave any longer. So we consider ourselves dead to sin, but we're alive to God in Christ. So great news, you died. We thank Jesus that he has helped us, that our old self was crucified with him so that we are no longer a slave to sin. Okay, Great news, you died. We're dead to sin and it's enslavement and we're alive to God in Christ Jesus. Our promise of eternal life in Christ is made secure because we're hidden in Christ. That's what he means when he says your life is hidden with Christ in God. This eternal life that he has promised that we would be when Christ, who's your life, appears, you'll also appear with him in glory. That sounds wonderful. How do I know that that's going to be held secure and held certain? Am I going to lose that? Because I lose things. Am I going to lose that? No. He's holding it for you. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. We're dead to sin. He's made us alive. And when he appears in glory, we will also appear with him in glory. And that sounds wonderful beyond description. How do I know I'm not going to mess that up? Because he has it. It's like... It's like when the grandparents give your two-year-old like 20 bucks for their birthday. They're going to lose it. Let me hold it for you, kiddo, right? It's the same thing. He's holding it for us. Okay? We're dead to sin, Paul says, but he also says, he goes on to say, we need to keep it that way. This is where our responsibility comes in. We're dead, so stay dead. The old self, the old self is at war with God and with each other. Read a few verses here. Let's put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. He's describing the, what this old self looks like. A couple of categories we can put these into. The, the internal idolatry of perverted love. This first, this first bunch, 
Paul talks about sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and even covetousness, which is idolatry. These are sins. This is the old self that comes up from within. It's God's good idea of love, God's good idea of sex, that's perverted. Sin has twisted it. It starts within us, but it doesn't stay within us. There's no, there are no victimless crimes here. Covetousness is on there. Why is covet, why, how, is, how is covetousness the idolatry of perverted love? Remember the Ten Commandments. tells him, he doesn't say, thou shalt not cover some strangers, everything. He says, don't covet your neighbor's stuff. The people that you love, the people that you live with, the people that you're related to, don't, don't covet what they've got. Don't take your love and your relationship with them and start hating them because they have things you don't, all right? Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. I can't think of anything that sounds worse than that. He doesn't stop there. He talks about the next group, the outward poison of wicked hate that we express towards other people. Anger, wrath, malice, which is just, you just mean just to be mean. Slander, obscene talk, which could also be just abusive speech. He talks about lying to one another. These belong to the old self. All right. Not only is our old self at war with God, it causes us to wage war with one another. This is the truth. My old self cannot, be, cannot stand to be in the same room as your old self. We would not get along, <laughs> each of our old selves. And that's the problem as we try to live in community. Your old self hates my old self and vice versa. We try to live in community together and we haven't killed these things and kept them dead. That's the problem. All right. The old self is at war. John Owen is the famous, you guys have probably heard this a hundred times. He says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. We put it to death. We have to put it to death often. We have to put it to death every time it tries to come back. So what do we do? How do we put this old self, this, this internal sin and then this external poison, of the outward poison of, of wicked hate? How do we put it to death? All right, two steps. Condensed it to two steps. First of all, we've got to recognize what we're up against. Okay? We're fighting temptation and we're fighting the devil's attack. Let's talk a bit about temptation. Let's look at these passages. You're going to see something very common there. These are all in Paul's writings, a couple of them to the Corinthians and one to Timothy. It says, flee from sexual immorality. Second passage, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and 14. No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So flee youthful passions, he tells Timothy, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So when we are encountered with temptation, we're supposed to stick in and fight it, right? No, thanks for playing, but no. Temptation, we flee because you are not strong enough to fight temptation. None of us are. That's why he tells us clearly, when it's temptation, flee. You can't overcome temptation with willpower. It's impossible. You escape you flee, you get away from temptation. You have to escape. You, you don't have... Scripture tells us over and over, tons of passages, all these uh, 
things that God has equipped us with to fight, none of those are to fight temptation. He provides the way of escape so that we can get out. Second thing we're going to find, we're going to face is the devil's attack, all right? Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Finally, put on the whole armor. Ephesians 6 goes on and tells, describes the armor. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. All right? Temptation? flee devil's attack fight because that's what he gives us the weapons to fight with we resist him look at that james look at james we submit ourselves to god we resist and who does the fleeing devil does that sounds pretty good we resist him we're firm in our faith we take some consolation in knowing that same kind of things are happening to our brothers and sisters all around the world we're not alone in this fight And we use the weapons he has given us to stand against the schemes of the devil. Flee temptation and resist the devil. Family, confuse that at your own peril. Don't get those mixed up. Flee temptation and resist the devil, okay? Second thing we have to do, first steps, first thing we've got to recognize what we're up against is the temptation of the devil's attack. Second thing we have to do is we have to put on the new self. When we put on the new self... That seals the old self's fate. If you really want to kill that old self, what are you left with? If you don't put on the new self, the old self's just going to come right back. All right? So let's put on the new self. So let's take, a little, let's take a look here at what this new self is. If the old self is at war with God and with each other, it makes sense that the new self, we would be at peace with God and with each other. Continue along in verse 9 there. You've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Okay, what do we know about the new self? It's being renewed. We read in verse 10, last part of verse 10, it's being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This is from 2 Corinthians. Paul's preached on this in the last few months, I'm sure. Uh, So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is what? It's being renewed day by day. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so our new self, it's at peace with God and with each other. It's constantly being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The old self, it invited God's wrath, but the new self is continually being renewed in knowledge. The old self was hostile to God, but the new self increasingly reflects the image of the creator. When we talk, so this whole idea of peace with God, like I don't want you to think about I don't know, not to, not to use stereotypes, but I'm not talking like, I'm not talking about like chamomile tea, instrumental music, sitting in a comfy chair kind of peace. 
I'm not talking about this internal ah, kind of peace. It means we are no longer active enemies of God. The wrath is no longer coming. Forgiveness has come, right? Our old self was, it was his enemy, sons of disobedience, objects of wrath. But this new self, we've been transferred, as, we, as Paul talks about in Colossians chapter 1, we've been transferred from this domain of darkness into the kingdom of his son. Completely changed. Our appearance has been completely changed. We have, like a snake shedding his skin, we have done away with this old self. We have this whole new self that's come in, and it's not hostile to God. It increasingly reflects the image of its creator. Because this new self, both individually and in community, reflects the image of the creator, we all equally belong to Christ, regardless of our backgrounds. Okay? Does that mean that we're all, that, does that mean that we lose our, some of our identity, especially some of our ethnic identity when we come to Christ? No, you still keep that. That's the beauty of the way God designed us. But we're all equal. We're all family. And it's harder that way, but that's the way God made it. Okay? So there's some garments that he goes on to talk about here. Things that we need to put on. It almost takes the, it's almost a, the idea of a new self is almost like a new set of clothes. <clears throat> we'll put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Okay. Let's put on compassionate hearts. Let's care for one another. Paul doesn't really talk about any garments that you need to put on that just stick with you. These garments of the new self are always in how we relate to our brothers and sisters. That's his chosen way to express it. None of these do you keep for yourself. I have a compassionate heart towards myself. That's not the way it works. I'm kind to myself. No, it shouldn't be. That's, that's not the way it works. All right, compassionate hearts toward when we care about each other. We seek godly justice for one another and for people who don't have justice. Kindness. This is not natural to humans. Okay? I'm glad we sang the song earlier. It was, it was the kindness of God that drew us to repentance. Right? We don't naturally have Humans are not naturally kind to each other. It's the same language here, the same word for kindness when Jesus says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. This kind of kindness that we can show, this easiness, this lightness that comes from bearing with one another, from just showing each other, there's no other word for it, just kindness. It just makes life better. It's not natural for us and it's hard. We can be nice. It's not talking about nice. It's not talking about being friendly to the person at Trader Joe's. This is talking about being kind to each other when it's hard, when you see them all the time. Our society is not geared to do that. Yeah. You may be familiar with the story. 20th century, George Bernard Shaw, the playwright, kind of had a little feud with Winston Churchill. He writes him when he, he got a new opening night of a play and he, he writes, you know, Mr. Churchill, I'm Happy to leave two tickets for you for the opening night of our play. Bring a friend if you have one. All right. So Churchill quickly writes back, 
I'm afraid I, I have a prior engagement. I'm not going to be able to make the opening night, but if you could kindly send two shows uh, for the second night, uh, provided you have one, I'd be happy to go, right? <laughs> so that, that's the way we are as people. That's what's natural. This, it's funny until it's not, right? And that's what we do. We, we dance this line. It's funny until all of a sudden it's not funny anymore. That's what we do to each other. Meekness. What is meekness? We've talked a lot about meekness. Jay Upton Dixon was writing a, a, he's a humorist, wrote a book called Cower Power, in which he introduced a, a secret society of people. That they were known as the doormats, the dependent organization of really meek and timid souls, if there are no objections. Their motto was, uh, the meek shall inherit the earth, if that's okay with everybody. And their symbol was the yellow traffic light. All right? That's what the world thinks meekness is. That's not what scripture tells us meekness is. All right? Scripture tells us that meekness is immensely powerful people who are controlled by and submitted to God. Numbers chapter 12, Moses was the meekest man on earth. Here he is, this powerful leader of the Israelites, stood up to Pharaoh, parted the Red Sea. He was meek. We talked about this. It's strength under control. It's strength. We've used the, Paul's used the example several times of the the big cat, the lion, or the tiger that holds its, holds its uh, cub, right, in its, in its mouth. It could easily crush it, but it's strength that's been submitted. That's what meekness is. It's not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. If it was weakness, they would have just called it weakness. But it's meekness. It's strength that's been submitted to God. More garments. We've got to be patient with each other. We've got to bear with one another. That's hard. It's just hard to be patient with other people. It's hard to be patient with your kids. It's hard to be patient with your spouses. It's hard to be patient with your parents sometimes. A lot of us are at all different life stages. But we really, this is these garments of the new self. None of these are natural to us. You know who they're natural to? They're natural to Jesus. He wore these perfectly. Forgiving each other just as we've been forgiven by him. This is so hard for us. I can't forgive her. But she's ahead. I can't forgive her. It's not even yet. When it gets even, then we'll forgive each other. But above all, love, which acts like a belt, binding these garments together. The, the picture is Christ. Christ perfectly wears these. Have, I don't know. I, like, it's been a long time since I've preached. It's been a really long time since I've had to wear a tie. Um, I'm so thankful for that. But... <laughs> Like, I know there's all sorts of, like, YouTube videos, right? Like, you know, the model of how to do it, how to wear the tie or whatever. So, and I know if you, you know, if you take a job that requires a uniform, they've got, like, here's the picture of what your uniform is. But Jesus is the picture of what all these are supposed to look like in us. He's the, he's the model. He's the example that we're, we're holding ourselves up against. Okay. Move on to this last section. This was really where, what hit home for me in, uh, in Silence and Solitude time. The peace, the word, and the name of Jesus with thanksgiving, okay? And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
Okay, let, this pe- let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I talked about this a minute ago. This is not some internal mellowness or calmness. This is not chamomile tea. This is that we are no longer at war with God or at war with each other. And Jesus bought this peace with his blood, a heavy price. This peace will rule our hearts. The term they're using there for rule is almost like an umpire. It says it's you know, out or safe. This peace that we get, that Jesus has purchased for us, will help us know what's right and what's wrong. It will rule in our hearts. It will make the decisions. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Okay? Through teaching, which is positive and encouraging, kind of like Caleb, and um, a couple of people, a couple of people, all right, and admonishing each other. You're challenging and warning one another. All right? Word of Christ, this double-edged sword. It's teaching it. We're positively encouraging each other through the teaching of God's word, but sometimes God's word challenges us and warns us. We do this even through the song. Oh, right here. Even through the songs that we sing together. Worship team, worship leaders, we make a concerted effort to choose songs uh, that are going to help us bring. It's going to bring the word of God back into our minds. We we don't choose songs because um, we like the way they sound. We don't choose songs because wow, I sound great when I sing that. We choose songs because these songs are going to help let the word of Christ dwell in us richly through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When you sing a song and it, it reminds you of something that you read just last week in your quiet time, man, that's the sweet spot. That's the way this is all supposed to work. Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. You know, another um, consolation that I have about preaching today and not being too worried about it is um, okay. Cindy is a really good cook. She she always has been, and she gets better like every year. Her baking she can bake like crazy now. Um, we baked in she would bake in China in like a toaster oven. Don't know how she did it. And um, I'm obviously well fed. <laughs> um, we've married almost 14 years. And I can probably remember with detail maybe five meals that she cooked. She's really good, and obviously I eat it. But I don't remember specific details about that many meals. But I know she did it. So one consolation I have is, if you don't remember all of my points, that's okay. <laughs> if you don't remember all the details of your quiet time, that's a, it's a good reason to journal, but that's okay. But year upon year upon year, you're fed. You don't remember the details of every meal. You don't remember the details of every message, but you look back and you say, well, I ate. I'm okay. Spiritually, I fed myself on God's word. I don't remember it all, but that's okay. It's the same. The word of Christ just dwells in us richly every day in your quiet time. My quiet time, I didn't learn anything in my quiet time today. It's just, you know, it's okay. Stay with it. You can't look day to day. It's all right. If you, if you, have a, if you don't have a memorable QT every day, it's going to be fine. Because this word, it just dwells in us richly. All right? Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. All right, how do we sit in traffic in the name of Jesus? How do I drop off my kids at school? Um, how do I, you know, how do I sit on hold with, with the credit card people in the name of Jesus? The most mundane of tasks. How do we do it? We do it by being thankful in every circumstance. Are we supposed to be thankful? F- All right, here's a, here's, a, here's a question. Are we supposed to be thankful for every circumstance? My kids were sick, and I, they had to go to the hospital. I'm just saying. Some of you ha- are in this position. I'm not yet. I'm waiting our turn. Um, <laughs> but 
So am I supposed to be thankful for that? No, I'm supposed to be thankful in that. Am I thankful that these things are happening? No, but I'm thankful. Am I thankful for it because it's happening? No, I'm thankful in it. Because even though it's happening, Christ loves me. He sees me. He knows me. He's there. He's unchanging. I'm not thankful for every circumstance. When our kids are in pain, I'm not thankful for that, but I'm thankful in it. All right, we're going to end with this today. Why is this important for us now? That's great. Paul had the theological arguments. He talked about how they needed to live it out. And I want to close with why this is important for us as Crossway Church in 2019. Why is this important for us? Four legs on a table, four wheels on a car, and most of you, when you came in today, you picked up one of these, okay? Carefully look at the back. And everything we do, we desire to seek what? Scripture guidance, right? First sign of Scripture guidance is Christ-centeredness. Paul's letter to the Colossians reminds us today that Jesus is Lord over all, that we have no way to find God or be righteous except through Him. We trust God's Word. We're guided by Scripture. The peace of God, it is the umpire for our life. We are guided by it. We trust God's Word and we live in gratitude for the peace that, with God that Jesus purchased for us through His death. Second leg, spirit dependence. The first sign of spirit dependence is prayer. We've entered a season of fasting and praying. We're no longer hostile to God, but we are now hostile to God's enemy, who's become our enemy as well. And we've stepped up our game in a way by embarking on this 14 weeks of prayer and fasting. I'll just say this. Whether or not we needed a new facility, this was a good idea. We needed it as people. But we fired some shots at our enemy at the same time. So we turned to prayer, and we're dependent on the Holy Spirit to help us to fight and to stand. Okay? Real transformation, the first evidence, the first sign of real transformation is joy. Paul writes that when we put on the new self, we're continually being renewed in knowledge after the image of our Creator. We're transformed to look more like Him. What does that do? It sets us free to live with increasing abiding joy. It's the fourth leg that I think today might be the most important for us. Authentic community. And the first sign of authentic community is perpetual commitment. Back in the old days, it was just commitment, but we've upped it. Now it's perpetual. I'm glad we did. When we as a community put on the new self, it's almost like our team uniform. We match. When we commit to each other, that's when we look the most like Christ. All right, so Christ-centeredness, that's awesome. Let's do it. Prayer, yeah, sign me up. Yeah, I'll do that. That's good. Big spreadsheet. We're all doing it in numbers. It's great. Yep, I'll, I'll do that. I'll fast and pray. Joy, yeah. Who doesn't want to be full of joy? Perpetual commitment. Say, say what now? That's the one that's hardest for us because that's when we tend to Rub each other the wrong way. I've got to be perpetually committed to these people? What? Well-known old Irish proverb, to live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, well, that's a different story. All right? 
I can't, you know, hey, we all think about it. We all think about how great it would be. Oh, we get to heaven, we'll see Peter and James and John. Man, we got Peter and we got a Jimmy and we got a couple of Johns. And Peter's got a Moses. I mean, it's here. This, this body is here. The saints that we're supposed to love and the ones that we want to long to be with are here in this room. But it's hard. I think, I really believe, as we hunger and thirst for spiritual vitality, it goes far beyond just looking for a new facility. We're going to face trials. We've declared a higher level of war on our enemy. We've already seen it. We've seen illness, right? Even among our kids. We've got kids in the hospital. Stan and Jamie and their family. None of you guys dodged anything. All sick. Stan's limping in. Still probably faster than me. This is what we've seen. We've seen illness. But the next wave, the next level up, this is going to seem like child's play. The next level for us folks is going to be relational conflicts. As we go through this fasting and prayer chain, as we start to think about a new facility, the weapon that our enemy is going to use is going to be relational conflicts with one another. If you want a preview for what comes later, it's going to be doubting the goodness of God and finally a crisis of faith. That's his last weapon he's going to try to hit us with. But thankfully, right now, we're just looking at relational conflicts. So I urge you, I urge you, let's put on the new self with each other. Compassionate hearts. Let's show compassion. I'm telling you. As we pray and as we fast, the spiritual battle is going to get more intense. We're going to look for reasons to get upset with one another. Let's don't. Family, let's don't. Let's just kill it. Compassionate hearts. They always, every time they're supposed to host women's group, they always call and say they can't. Well, let's be compassionate. Maybe there's a reason. Let's be kind. Like we sang this morning, it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Let's be kind to one another. We don't have to stop at just saying hi on Sunday mornings. We can really talk to each other can be kind. Let's be meek. If you're the kind of person who uh, is, is strong and can be bold and maybe you're in a leadership position, let's just don't lord anything over anybody else. Let's be meek. Strong but submitted. Let's be patient with each other. Let's forgive each other. Now you know it's going to happen. You know something's going to get miscommunicated some, somewhere, somehow. And our first thing is going to be, what? What do you mean by that? Somebody, so you're going to get you're going to be joking about something, and it's going, like we say, it's all funny until all of a sudden it's not. You're going to be you're going to be joking. Somebody's going to be texting, and somebody's going to send you a text, and you, you're going to make a joke, and then they're going to say, "Yeah, you would say that." And you're going to you're going to read every word in your head. You would say that. You would say that. What do they mean? You would say that. What do they mean? And you say, "What do you mean?" And you're just waiting because those three little gray dots are just there forever. <laughs> you're waiting for that person's reply. They're they're there, and then they're gone. And then those three dots come back and then they're gone. You're just dying. What are they going to say? What are they going to say to me? That's going to be Satan's scheme. That's going to be his plan of attack. That's going to be our temptation. So forgive each other. Just like the Lord forgave us. 
and we love one another, just like he loved us. We see him as the model. That love is the belt that we wear around that's going to bind this whole new garment together. If we get the best facility months down the road, the best facility, but we don't have this, um, we will argue about the, um, the flavor of coffee that we have at the fancy barista station in the back if we don't have this. But if we have this, we will joyfully, side by side, carry in children's ministry supplies in the rain. And we'll think nothing's greater than this if we have this. So I want to encourage you, but I also want to warn us as a community This is what our enemy wants to do, rip us. Let's say no. Let's love one another. Put off the old self and put on the new. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we are so thankful to you. Since your son Jesus, he who knew no sin to bear our sin. We who were sons and daughters of disobedience, objects of wrath. You removed that from us. We couldn't do that on our own. And you gave us these new clothes. Help us, Lord, to wear them. Help us to love each other. Help us to bear with each other. Help us to be listeners. Help us to be kind. Because none of this, none of this is natural to us. Our desires, we want to fume internally and we want to spew forth wicked hate on the outside. Help us to kill that. Help us to kill that and help us to put on this new self that you've provided. What joy that will be. This world, this life is so hard. Lord, we know that when we stick together, we can make it. Help us to hunger and thirst after that type of community, after those types of bonds with one another. We love you. We're thankful for this time. We're thankful for the precious gift of your word. We never have to guess what you're thinking. We never have to ask for visions or try to speak to an angel. Your word is clear how grateful we are. We love you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.